You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back to the Arsenal Pass podcast, episode 95. Brendan, how was your week in flesh and blood? It was good. Honestly, it was kind of my weekend Marvel Snap because I was just <laughs> finishing. No, dude, like the season's ending. I just finished off my grind to infinite. I just want to like, because some people were talking about this on Twitter, some fat people actually talking about how high variance Marvel Snap is, right? And the, the argument is that it's mitigated by the cube system because like Marvel Snap itself is an extremely high variance game. Um, that being said... I really start to empathize with the people that are complaining about the variance because if you try to like actually climb some ranks that you are getting easily, it is the most painful freaking process mm-hmm. like I've ever been through. It's a terrible ladder process. I'm excited to be done with it. I'm excited to get back to flesh and blood. I almost put my face through a through the drywall this past week. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this isn't the the Brendan Patrick Snap podcast, but I will say I have been playing some Marvel Snap. And I, I do really like the game. So, you know, for those that uh, there aren't playing, we won't talk about this for too long, but I do think it's a cool game. I, I think it has a lot of merits as an ongoing game system. I think it's really interesting. But yeah, the the kind of ladder system and the the leveling system and yeah, there's there's just some issues I have with it where sometimes I just feel disincentivized to play the game, even though I'm kind of enjoying what it might look like, um, especially mm-hmm. so at like pool two, which is like the second of the, the pools. I thought it was quite an enjoyable game. So... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> flesh and blood. Uh, I didn't get to play any flesh and blood over the weekend. ProQuest season is obviously wrapped up. ProQuest season three, the three week period is wrapped up. No ProQuest locally for me for the last week. So um, I think a bit of a poor scheduling. And we are going to talk a bit about ProQuest as we get into the pod because we do have some great questions that have come up this week around ProQuest season. But definitely did jump into some testing with the new the new meta post the Bannon suspended announcement. Uh, that we had to digest last week very quickly when we did the pod. Had a little bit more time to obviously digest that. Started to, you know, work out what does what does Ultim look like? Uh Titan's Fist, Brendan, you know, well it's it's still, you know, it's still pretty good just playing Titan's Fist. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Icelander. Not surprised. Yeah, Icelander <laughs> a lot less so though. Uh so you know, Briar Bri obviously back on the table in a big way. So yeah, played played a bit of flesh and blood this week and, and started testing out some things and just trying to understand this format. It feels it really does feel like where to start like where do you start and i always like to try and start with well what's something quite interesting and maybe different and i, I don't know if there's a lot out there for that Mm-mm. um so we'll, nah. we'll, we'll see what people come up with for indianapolis uh this coming weekend the meta is con- the meta is going to converge i think um at which honestly if there had been no banner suspended i think the meta would have converged anyway because it's mostly a result of data but now the meta is converging off of aggressive and uh, defensive and you know old him still being the premier sort of defensive deck uh, i think we will see the meta kind of really start to shape in terms of what decks are the best decks and you know hayden talking about our or circling back at least to our band suspended pod we recorded that right after the announcement and i i honestly think my takes are going to age pretty well specifically in regards to no dude specifically in regards yeah. to icelander like i think uh day one if i told you i was like hey man i think that almost there's going to be almost no icelander at baltimore not because the deck is not good not because it's not playable but just because icelander is just if as a top deck it just will get edged out with other decks who do kind of the same thing better um and then i yeah i think oldham is just here to say like they didn't touch crown of seeds like oldham's still a super powerful deck and i think we're gonna see a lot of aggro decks come out um 
But yeah, it, it, it's interesting. You start to see the meta take hold, and we got to see some uh, some results with those uh, those new bands suspended. Yeah, I mean, no events yet, but we will this we will this weekend, obviously. Yeah, Indy. Yeah, first weekend at Indy. Last weekend, everyone got to wheel out their hypothermias and their winter's whales and whatever fashion they wanted to. Their belittles, get your last digs in with belittle. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you on Icelander. Just the the Alton piece. I think if you if you recall, you're a little bit cooler on Ultim, so to speak, than than I was. I, I still think Ultim's going to be there in a, a big way and has a lot of tools. And I don't think yes, Winter's Whale very very powerful. And the frostbites over the game, if you say three to five frostbites threatened in in particular mm-hmm. games, yes, very relevant. But um, there's still a lot of avenues that that Ultim can go down, including just the same ones we've seen with these proactive builds, even without Winter's Whale. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I think it's it's really a question of the decks that adapt to beat yes. that olden strategy, and that's yeah, that's where the main we're, that's the innovation we're waiting to see. Like that's what's that's honestly, if you're looking, uh, if you're if you're kind of looking at the meta and you want to figure out sort of how to predict it and you know how to get ahead of it, um, I think you should really be looking at the decks that show up and are successful against the old index i think old kind of comes in it's like it's going to be it's going to be a cornerstone of the meta but uh if something comes in it can have a very favorable match against old it it stands to kind of shake everything up and i'll give you one guess where me and the doctor dr damakai we we started mm-hmm. with one particular card when we thought about this Ultim fatigue deck we, we just you know having some fun trying to maybe build something interesting a little bit different uh where do you think we started brainstorm Oh, that's a great guess, but no, it was Annals of Suckliff. Oh, yeah? How'd that work? <laughs> Not great, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, it was fun. It was enjoyable. Enjoyable couple of games. Uh, and by a couple of games, I mean a couple of three hours. Anyway, <laughs> let's jump into some news. Episode 95. Uh, not a lot happened in the past week of Flesh and Blood post the Bannon Suspended announcement. Bit of downtime. I think Alice is giving people time to digest. We've had no... Further announcements about uh, events post this. Obviously, we know we have a skirmish season coming up with outsiders, but it's kind of you know there's a there's a few sort of blank spots in the calendar at the moment, Brendan. So I think we will hopefully get some more information on season one. So these this new season calendar that Alexis is looking at that includes the pro tour. Uh, we kind of understand now skirmish, pro tour, outsiders all coming during that time period. What comes after that, and what happens in the lead up to road to nationals? Because I think that's where a lot of people's minds are at now. You know. ProQuest season is over. Maybe they are going to play a couple of skirmishes, but I think a lot of sites firmly set on the road to national season now. So players looking out for the announcement of that. Obviously, we are only in January, but well, actually, we're in February by the time this pod drops. So I think a lot of anticipation of what competitive sort of season is coming next and what that will what that will look like. So we shall see. But yeah, of course, also Indianapolis calling happening this weekend. There is live coverage. Yeah, you can check out on Ethan's YouTube channel. The coverage for the calling in Indianapolis happening this weekend. Uh, Auckland happens in two, three weeks from now. Calling Auckland. I don't know if there's coverage for that, Brendan. I, I haven't heard anything, so uh, mm. we will endeavour to find out if there is coverage. And if there is, then obviously, if there is, I think it'll be local um, and sort of a community, a community organised coverage at that. So I feel I like so. you would have heard by now <laughs> if there was coverage. Uh, coverage. So we'll see. We'll I'm not that in tune with the the NZ community though, so uh, we'll, to a degree, but, but we'll find out. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, also with ProQuest season wrapping up, this will be dropping the final sort of data articles that come out weekly on the, the ProQuest metagame that's done by Breeze, so make sure to check that out over on uh, the fabtcg.com YouTube page. 
Brent, I think it's time to, with that, jump into some Commander Cookout time. How do you feel about mm. that? Let's get into it. All right. Well, Commander Cookout this week is a little bit different. It's a kind of a collection of some questions that have arisen over the past sort of week, and it relates to ProQuest season and to basically the OP system and qualifying for the Pro Tour. So, Brendan, I know you were you were tagged in this tweet <clears throat> late last night, or I guess late last night for me, so early morning, early hours of the morning for you. Uh, I, th- I think I can say this person's name. Aphoric tweeted at us and just said, uh, basically, they lost in the, the top four of PQ to a friend in a close game, but the other three players in the top four already qualified, so the, the invite for that request in particular got lost. Uh, and this is something I've heard happen at a few events. Obviously, you know, there's players out there grinding for gold foils. You know, I know a number of players secured two, three, four gold foils over this this time period. And, and uh, I, I can't speak to whether those came from them having to basically lock out invites or whether it came from them being able to, you know, uh, <laughs> choose my words carefully. Maybe prize redistribute in the final, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, prize split in the final. Whatever that might be. So, I, but what I understand is, you know, there has been a lot of questions about the the pro the ProQuest system and you know invites being lost. Uh, this really hampering smaller communities as well. Maybe where you might have three to four, maybe five ProQuests and potentially two, one to two of those invites effectively being lost to two players because of because of this. This almost happened at, at our ProQuest as well, one of our last ProQuests. Uh, so it's something that seems to be coming up quite a lot. And I know uh, even like Zach Bunn replied to this and was was adding his two cents on on this. A few others did about um, sort of the, how the invites work and then not dropping down past the final. So currently, you know, invites drop down one place. So if the winner already has a ProQuest invite, the invite will drop down. But that also doesn't impact if that person might get an ELO invite, for instance, or where they are on XP because these don't backdate. That happens after the ProQuest season. So there is also that impact where a lot more invites could be lost to smaller communities or, or particular communities, which, you know, I, I guess the question becomes, is this the is, is the current format of ProQuest the best format or the correct format to be using for players, you know, I guess to... To get the end result, which is to get qualified players to qualify for the Pro Tour. <laughs> so funny because like this this particular pain point on ProQuest is actually not even the issue that I have with the ProQuest, <laughs> the ProQuest system currently in flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it's definitely a feels bad. If you so if you think about like the small communities, ten, they tend in theory they have the the advantage of you know less competition right but you you can have people travel to smaller communities and come spike the invite out even though they already have it um, i don't think that's i think that's more the exception rather than the example sure. but it still is a it still is a rough a rough example for sure should it tick down i mean it, it depends on i i think this is I mean, I could answer it and say yes right that'd be the e- easy answer it's like yeah why not of course it should but uh, honestly you'd have to if you look and it's like they're pr- the ProQuest invites, like we can invite all these people if we pass on all the invites and it works out perfectly well for the amount of people we're trying to have come to the Pro Tour. Um, and they maybe reduce the amount of people that get in off of like XP and all these other silly things like buying PTIs and stuff like that. Then yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. I don't like, but like getting a ProQuest or a Pro Tour invite by getting like, you know, sixth in a, in a tournament because everybody else has invites is more legitimate to me than buying an invite off of somebody for a couple hundred bucks. So I, I don't particularly have a problem with it. And I think that it would just slot 
fine into the current system. Your thoughts? Well, I guess there's two ways to look at it. <clears throat> so you could look at it from, I guess, the, the, the why not. So why not have it that way? Why not change this ProQuest system? Because I, I want to do you know, the, the due diligence here and give kind of both sides if I can. So I guess the first way to look at it is maybe I'll look at the, the, the why not. Why not change the ProQuest system? Why continue with the system as, as how it works? You know, maybe it is a good system. And I guess the, the reasons for that would be dropping down those invites past the finals becomes uh, a, can become complicated, right, in terms of where did this person finish? Uh, did we need to play out the third and fourth slot? Did something happen in the quarterfinals so this person sort of gained their way to get to semifinals knowing that the top three would have request invites? Or, you know, there's a lot of conversations that could start to happen there. There's also the fact of, I think people have said this before, you know, if you want to play on the Pro Tour, you need to be able to beat the best and if you aren't able to do that at a local level should you have the right to do that at a at a international level i guess which is you know that's one way to look at it for sure uh i'm not sure i necessarily yeah, I mean, agree with that but if i could quickly say i would say like you got to be able to beat the best if you want to be on the pro tour or you know you could spend a couple hundred bucks that's sure. also well, <laughs> that, that is that is the, i love just ja- i love yeah. jabbing at that i'm sorry <laughs> that is the, the obviously what people would say in that. so there is a lot of you know there is there is i guess the people do have the reasons for saying that the, the progress system shouldn't change you know it, it works the way it does and that it rewards the players you know the best players yeah, get access to go and grind and win their invites and and win a gold foil uh, you know, obviously the pricing is really top heavy with this with this gold foil. Uh, it's even more top heavy now that there, I guess there's less incentive for top eight without the the gold foil heroes. You know, with these sleeves instead. So I do think that's obviously one side. On the other side of it, right, is you know how do you do you want to incentivize quote unquote pro players to actually be playing these events? Like that is the question because in other games, in my experience in particular, often professional players or players who were locked onto the the pro tour, the gravy train, whatever you want to call it. Call it weren't really incentivized to play these events, right? You know, there's this ELO impacts, there's just the prizing doesn't make sense, they don't need the invite. But with how top heavy these prizings are with with the Gulf War, for instance, obviously that there's more incentive, people want to play Flesh and Blood because it's a great game. You know, there's less, there's not a calling every other weekend that players are conflicted to go to. Put it this way, right? If you had these pro players having access to head to a calling every sort of month or two, right? Would they be playing the same number of ProQuest, right? Would would they instead be deciding to travel to these events? So I think that's what's being weighed up, right? Like people want to play, you know, people who are winning four or five gold foils want to be playing events. They want to be winning stuff. So I think there's a bit of a discourse there. And that's before you even get into some of the other stuff, right, Brennan? I know you have mm-hmm. issues with, and, and this has right. been very publicly talked about, you know, there was a lot of discourse about this last week. If you haven't seen it already over Twitter, Facebook, Discord, like honestly everywhere around the idea of these events being given to TOs that did not respect them, right? Whether that be through ridiculous player caps where they had more space in store, whether it be around uh, the pricing based on the entry fees, all of these things, there's been a lot of discourse about that, which to be honest, I, I don't feel personally across it enough, Brendan, to talk about it. A lot of people more knowledgeable than me have, have talked about it and more knowledgeable than us have talked about it. But I know you've had experience with the, the cap issue in uh, a place where a pretty massive flesh and blood community and people not being able to get in and play ProQuest. It just feels like the the stores, it feels like some of the stores that get ProQuest, uh, maybe have gotten them from, uh, you know, they've been grandfathered in from the past. They don't take it, some of them just don't take it very seriously in terms of pricing, in terms of player caps. And it's just like, you see a very widespread on the quality that you could expect at a ProQuest in terms of like venue support, 
et cetera, et cetera. Like I've been, I've been to a ProQuest that had, I think it was a 20 player cap and no working bathrooms in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Like, I mean, it's just a thing. Like, the largest city it, in the it, world as well. Oh. No, it's not the, I said one of, it. it is too. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of a joke and it just feels like LSS is like, really really out of touch with some of the the game stores that i don't know if this so i don't know if this happens in new zealand australia places that are obviously more local to them where they know these stores but at least in the united states like it definitely happens and a lot of people encounter this stuff um i just think that they should be probably curating it a bit better if they can um like it's not unreasonable for a store to be awarded a pro quest um and if they're incentivized correctly to you know, be trying to find additional space for that. Like Team Covenant does that every mm-hmm. single time. I understand Team Covenant monetizes through things outside of the local game store, but, you know, they go out of their way to put on an awesome event for all their road to nationals, their pro quests, they add additional pricing. Like it's a whole thing. Uh, I just don't think that, you know, the bare minimum should be okay sometimes. And I think that some of the stores are m- far below the bare minimum, like 20 player cap doesn't make any sense. Working bathrooms should be expected. And, um, yeah, like uh, I know the prizing thing is like a, <laughs> a lot of people have a huge issue with that. So I don't want <clears throat> to maybe a bit of a different take on the command of cookout section this time. Uh, I don't really have I'm not really here to voice my opinions on this one. I think I do just want I do think it's important to have the discourse on it, though, and, and get it out there. But I think just the the one thing I'll say is that the, this is happening and, I, you know, I've seen it firsthand. I went to a store that, as far as I know, doesn't run armories or doesn't fire armories who got a pro quest they have a store capacity probably of around i would say 60 64 they capped at 30 people they wanted to be out at a certain time they didn't allow enough time for the pro quest luckily ended up running ahead of schedule anyway uh they didn't you know there was all these things right so it's like that's just one example And and that's here in australia and that is happening in a lot of different places on the flip side of that down in melbourne a city that's you know a couple of hours away they have a 70 person pro quest that's not capped where the organizer makes sure they have enough space. I think they might even have got an external venue for this, which they've done a few times actually to make sure that they can fit all these players because they really invest in the community. They understand their player base, they understand how many people might show up and those sorts of things can happen. And, and I know this person, they ran nationals and I had an issue with them running our nationals, but they are very, they are business focused. I know that they would have made sure they, they made money out of this. So, <clears throat> they can make it happen anyway basically coming coming back to all that obviously i think why i wanted to highlight this a little bit in the commander cookout section this week or just a community perspective is i think that request season can be done better that is my opinion whether that is the problems people have with the way invites work whether that's the problem people have with obviously you know being able to have actually ac- access to play these because of caps entry fees etc mm-hmm. uh, I, I i just think that i hope that for ProQuest season four which is happening uh, scheduled roughly scheduled for the end of year based on the calendar that Alice has put out that we see Alice just go and take a look at the ProQuest seasons and um, you know do some post-mortem on this yeah I mean even outside of store pricing I know a lot of people have been saying like they want <laughs> they want better they want better LSS pricing because you talk you talk about have top heavy sure. with the gold foil like you know like back in the first road to national season like the pricing is freaking awesome um but yeah you know like we went from like sleeves it. to like tokens it was like you know people really want people really want kind of like cards for top eight and stuff and i know that's subjective and it's a sliding scale and you know, maybe people are used to too many prizes i don't know what it is but um it's definitely a spicy thing in the community and I don't know if LSS, I'm assuming they have their ear to the ground, so hopefully we'll see some adjustments and uh, you know changes for the better soon. Maybe they can hear from us today about it. I think it's a lot of it's subjective, 
right like you say and I, that's why i think it's more of a spotlight rather than saying this is how things should be because at the end of the day we're not we're not store owners we're not op organizers we we're players though and we're seeing and hearing what other players are saying as well and regardless of whether where you fall on different sides of some of the conversations that are happening it's clear that some things can be improved that's just kind of the, the be all and end all i think so yeah i really hope to see i think progress the progress seasons have been overall pretty successful right people are qualifying for the pro tour they get into these events but number one is there's more players that want to be playing these events i think which is as a as a first one i think lss need to, to take a look at um and whether that's partnering a bit closer with stores whatever it might be but yeah i really hope to we get to progress season four and a lot of this discourse will never go away right there's always people are always going to have issues with how mm. events are run you know certain tos are going to stand out because they do the wrong thing you know lss can't control all of this but when the conversation gets this overwhelming, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's an indication that maybe something needs to change. Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> thank you for, I guess it wasn't actually a commander cookout question, but we, we kind of repurposed something that was tweeted at us, something that was actually dumped into the Arsenal Pass Discord as well around this. Um, the, there was a question around like XP invites and things like that as well, which is just another wormhole to, to go down based on how people qualify through that, through that route. But uh, we, we will leave that for another day we're actually doing a mailbag episode next week we already have collected by the time this pod drops all of the questions have been collected we've actually recorded the pod by the time this pod drops if you want to get your questions in for the commander cookout though you can do so arsenalpassfab at gmail.com you can drop them in the youtube comments below and let us know it's a question for the commander cookout you can tweet at us dm us or if you're an arsenal pass patron you can drop them in the commander cookout channel in the community discord right Brendan, main topic of the pod time and you know we've just gone full down the well we're talking outsiders and the cards that we think are going to break out with outsiders now there is some context to this outsiders is is not that far away so we have calling indianapolis this weekend we have the calling Auckland coming up at the end of the month and uh, we're straight into preview season so it's actually happening very very soon uh so we did want to make sure we got to to cover some outsiders some cards we think are going to be you know potentially really important some things we think about the set already we've had time to digest since the announcement uh on the back of outsiders you know, being announced on the 10th of january we know now that we have the new heroes in the form of uh riptide we have the new arachne solitary confinement and we have azuri switchblade of course young azuri and we have benji katsu azalea uh, all returning Benji for limited of course um so we have hybrid cards as well brendan this is the first time i can see these hybrid cards that have you know these can be played by two classes so far we've seen the assassin ranger Codex of Frailty, which is a very interesting card. And speculation has as well, Brendan, that there will be a reasonable amount of hybrid cards in the set. So I know initially uh, speculation was around just the, the Majestics. It looks like people have been diving into, you know, like set numbers and like card numbers and stuff. And it looks like there is a bit more than maybe just uh, just these Majestics. There'll be more sort of hybrid cards, which, which looks very cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I want to get your first of all, your first text. What are, you know, you've had some time to sit with outsiders. What's your first thoughts on us having the set where effectively we have you know what, six heroes right well it's very unique um it, it's it's interesting because most of my most of my takes on it right now come from looking at it from like a limited perspective it's like is this going to work in, in a limited in a limited format and I, i'm hopeful right because i think we're you know coming off of uprising it just felt like that draft format was very narrow and you know this many heroes potentially supported and it, i just think it it opens up a space we haven't been to yet in, in flesh and blood draft. 
And uh, I, I'm optimistic for it. I'm optimistic for it opening pathways, being able to sort of read a draft more, being paid off for that, et cetera, et cetera. So I haven't really thought about it in terms of constructed and kind of like, you know, I don't know if that's going to affect us rather than compared to like a three hero set or what we're used to with like these talented sets. Um, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. But mostly from limited, I think it's a, potentially a great change coming off the back of uh, Uprising. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the, I spent majority of my time thinking about it from a limited perspective. Obviously, being a player that just, you know, froths limited, wants to play as much limited as possible. But thinking about it more from a constructed standpoint, you know, it's re- I thought about this yesterday. It's really interesting that we have effectively, you know, the, the classes with Ranger, with Assassin, with Ninja, and balancing that off and how LSS are going to do this. And I think this looks really exciting. You know, we do get new heroes, but at the same time, we also, because of the non-talented nature of this and the reintroduction of, you know, Azalea and Katsu, etc., for for this, that they can give support to some of these non-talented original heroes from from the first two sets in this way, and also introduce new, new ways to play with them potentially. You know, we talked about something like Dynasty and uh, Crystal War. The thing we really like about those sets is introducing new ways to play with heroes. And you know, with Riptide, we already know that uh, he cares about traps. You know, he's a, he's a trap-based ranger. Uh, so. What does that mean for Azalea? Does that mean Azalea potentially has ways to play with traps? Or does that mean that we're going to get mm-hmm. some ranger cards that could be played for Riptide just as equally as they could be played for Azalea and help the two different strategies that those heroes could go on? You know, say it's a go tall arrow strategy versus Riptide with his trap strategy. You know, is there going to be cards that, that help out with that? And then, of course, that's before you even talk about Azuri and Arachne, Solitary Confinement, plus, of course, Arachne uh, that, we, that we already have. You know, how are these cards going to plug in and play? And then before you even start thinking about how hybrid cards will impact that's constructed. So mm. just, a, a, I guess, a few last things before we start talking about some of the cards, because we want to, we've, we've had a thought, me and Brendan have sat down, we've had a little bit of a think about some of the cards that we think could be set to break out with outsiders, pre-existing cards, cards we've already seen, and new ways to potentially use these uh, cards that, are, you know, maybe some of the cards we're going to first look at because of the power level, the things they can do, uh, the things that maybe they couldn't do because they were missing cards previously, and perhaps this new set is going to offer that to us. So preview season four, Outsiders starts on March 4th. So we are literally a month away from that happening. And we've got a couple of big events happening before that. Next week on the pod, we are doing a mailbag episode. And then we'll be back recording live and then uh, heading towards the preview season. I'm excited to see what preview, assuming we get a preview card, Brendan, what, what sort of preview card we get. Maybe we get a, a nice hybrid card. It's an interesting set for us because it's not really heroes that we yeah. traditionally play. Well, Hayden, I would say that if it was a set that with heroes that we traditionally play, we would definitely not get a card of said hero. <laughs> we somehow missed the wizard card most of the time. We did get one. Um, what was it back in? Oh, Scour. Yeah, Scour. Yeah. Scour. Um, but yeah, I didn't get an Icelander card. Did get the mech card this time. Um, uh, what a card, card last time. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah, obviously. I'm that was that card was insane. Yeah, but in this set, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I always thought we would get a card that has something to do with the arsenal. But we haven't gotten that one yet. It's true. So what a missed opportunity from LSS. We'll have to tell Alex about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then <laughs> release date for Outsiders is March 24th. So again, two months away from when we record now. So let's get into it brendan and uh you know what? i'll let you do the honors why don't you hit me with the first card currently printed in flesh and blood that you think might be set for a bit of a breakout with outsiders yeah so i'm gonna start off pretty boring because i get a little spicy here later um and that's just gonna be 100 wins the kind of generic ninja attack 100 wins you know it's a zero cost three power red two defense it says combo if 100 wins was the last attack action 
this combat chain, this attack ends plus one for each other card named 100 wins you control in this combat chain. Go again. So it's a combo card that inherently has go again. I think that, you know, this card did see a bit of play in Katsu and maybe creeped into some of the five decks back when five was a bit more combo oriented, but has fell out since then. And rightfully so. I do think that five is currently the stronger ninja by quite a, quite, quite a margin. But at the same time, I think that outsiders could could potentially flip that and if so i think that we'll see 100 wins float around a lot more it's just one of those cards hayden when it came out um it it looked very very promising to us because until then we didn't have like this combo card that was also a starter that also had go again that we could go fetch off katsu's ability um and just use in this way so i'm excited for 100 wins i think that we could potentially be seeing this as a six of in some of the the upcoming ninja decks and class constructed and maybe even a nine of if it's powerful mm-hmm. enough but you know, the yellow ones, are, it's a bit spicy. <laughs> if there's ways to buff it outside of that, it could be, it could be just, the, just, the, just the trick, right? Nine might be mm-hmm. correct. And 100 wins is a card that when it was printed, I was like, this card's, you know, super interesting. Like, what could this look like? Was this some big sort of combo? I remember in Blitz for the team callings last year, uh, Nick, who was teaming with us, like in testing, came up with this 100 wins Katsu deck, which was doing really well in testing, actually. It just sucked into Kasai unfortunately so it was pretty hard to play but you know and Pouncing Links like Pouncing Links was the card that paired so well with with 100 wins and that sort of this big sort of combo turn so um you know think of Fire with Salt the Wounds and Lava Burst off Pouncing Links now doing something very similar to to that so yeah I mean Katsu has a, a re- actually a really powerful hero ability right like it allows you to tutor mm-hmm. like if you think about some yeah. of the most powerful cards in Flesh and Blood Spark of Genius you know uh Come the Arknight uh lessons in lava like there are some really powerful tutor effects like tutor effects in general are really powerful and to have it just act onto your hero there's a lot of things you can do i think what is letting katsu down at the moment is just how much defense defensive value is in is in the game right now from equipment which hurts when you're trying to get these small breakpoints through to trigger combo effects to trigger mask momentum to trigger you know katsu's hero ability in general um and maybe the predictable nature of a lot of the katsu decks we've seen in the past you know it's like People got to the point where they're like, oh, if you play a surging strike, it's like, you know, you know what's coming after that. Woman Gust Wave, mm-hmm. they're going to try and McGinchy. So, okay, I don't block the surging strike. I block the Woman Gust Wave, for instance. You know, there's there's all these things that come into like play patterns and, and that could change. So, yeah, 100 wins is a cool card. Uh, what about you? What's on, what's on, what's number one on your list of your top five cards set to break out <laughs> in Iceland? <laughs> exactly. Great question, Brendan. Uh, I'm going to go straight for Try Shot. The okay. card. Yeah, a card from Everfest that we, you know, this blue ranger action. If you're not familiar with Tri-Shot, it's a zero cost ranger action. You may activate target bow you control two more additional times this turn, two additional times this turn. When I saw this card printed, I was like, wow, there's got to be some sort of like combo nature to this card. And it hasn't really eventuated. We haven't really seen Tri-Shot combo decks be played or or worked. And, you know, if you're a regular listener of Arsenal Pass, you know that we like combos here on Arsenal Pass. We like ways to try and exploit powerful interactions. And so far, we haven't really had that for TriShot. But with a new set, with Ranger being, you know, presumably a third of the focus of the set, I think TriShot could be, well, potentially even more with these hybrid cards, uh, TriShot could be positioned for a, a pretty strong outbreak, I think. Like, this mm-hmm. is a card where I don't think it requires too much more. Death Dealer is already a really powerful pairing with this. I don't think you necessarily need a new bow. You're not looking at a new bow for TriShot. But I think you're looking at some cards that can really leverage Death Dealer is what you're actually looking for. And then that would make Tri-Shot even more appealing. So, you know, uh, potentially something that uh, triggers off off draws, potentially something that allows you to uh, have go again a lot more accessibly for Azalea. There's a lot of things that I think if you could do, like if Azalea could actually 
leverage the death dealer more which you you can with try shot but actually leverage the ability to use death dealer more which try shot is mm-hmm. giving you then i think you're set up for some really big turns like i could easily see azalea you know you think with all these azalea can already pump out like you know 15 to 20 damage turns pretty pretty easily off five card hands all of a sudden if try shots involved and you're you're drawing effectively three extra cards on that turn for the cost of just one blue you know to be able to use that because the thing about it, right you pitch a blue that's already your three resources for that, that death dealer three times. So that's one card taken care of. So now the next two death dealers, you're just netting cards. You know, you're netting two cards. So if there's a way that Azalea can use that with, you know, with arrows they've go again or something that can, I don't know. I think it has to be based around go again, but I, I do think that Trishot is so close to being a card uh, mm. that can be really powerful, flesh and blood. Yeah, so the biggest issue with Trishot, to be honest, in that deck is just like you, if you really want to do something broken, you have to pitch stack it. And like, it's just like in modern day flesh and blood, those kind of combo decks that rely on going to the last, like the, you know, the last cycle of your deck, whatever it is, and pitch stacking this like, you know, perfect sequence of cards. It's, it's just like you just get run over by these aggro decks, um, unless you're playing something that's unusually defensive, like an old team or something like that. Like the difference between Kano is Kano just like, yes, you can pitch stack Kano, but it's really unlikely. You kind of just draw the cards and you have the card in your arsenal and you have tons of tutors um, and ways to draw extra cards, etc. But, I've seen I've seen the um, I've seen the try shot deck played. It is just like it's a bit right now. It's just a bit inconsistent. It's a bit too hard to actually do something unfair. Uh, but if you can do it, it's really really powerful. And I think that you're 100 percent on the mark with picking try shot first because I mean that that's the card, right? If you look at cards that have the potential to break, um, at least in Ranger, try shot is at the very very top of that list. Yeah, and I think the the try shot decks we've seen up to this point have been Lexi decks, right, revolving around the uh the synergy with with lexi and why have i forgotten the lightning bow's name what's the main bow called voltaire yeah voltaire sorry just blanked like completely and you know snapshots and this kind of this kind of build of the deck but i do think <clears throat> the problem with this at the moment if you try and play a tri shot deck is first of all i think it's really hard to get enough like go again so you need to play like flocks and all these cards that are particularly not that great to set up like you're talking about you know pitch deck and set up but the other issue as well is that like so much of the powerful arrows that Azalea has access to have re- they're just they're just redundant. The effects during a turn. It's like firing multiple red ledgers in a turn isn't good. <clears throat> you know, firing red ledger plus remorses in a turn isn't good. You need these you need some arrows that can actually have some synergy. And we got some of that with the new set. It's like <clears throat> you know, something like Heatseeker, okay, cool, or drill shot to start punishing equipment, you know, things that have on hit effects that can last not just to next turn, like a like a remorseless, like a death uh, a red ledger, but it can have future impact on the game, you know, like a drill shots. Like, you know, if all of a sudden I, my drill shots are worth like more damage because they're now starting to take away equipment if I play three on a turn, or you know, I play searing shot plus drill shot plus maybe a new arrow that has a lasting effect that can impact my opponent. Like, that, that's when it starts to get exciting. So, I think that's what try shot Azalea deck would need, but I do think try shot is already a powerful card, it just needs the support. Mm-hmm. so the next one for me is uh it's pretty spicy to be honest um it's it's wax on i know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast like what that's a card yeah it's a card um so wax on is a ninja defense reaction actually um the red one blocks for three it costs zero and it says while wax on is defending an attack action with con with cause zero it has plus two defense so wax on is particularly interesting against you know things like briar things that play or i guess just aggro decks that play zero cost cards but I just wonder in the future with more ninja support, like Flick Flack is just such a busted freaking card when it comes to value. Like if ninja can potentially fill that slot once again as like a control deck slash fatigue deck in the format. The the main issue with it really was Ultim. Like Ultim just 
heavily outclassed that deck, but Old Tim has taken some serious nerfs in 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 recent, right? Um, and that could allow room for a ninja to operate um, in that archetype if they get the correct supporting cards. I think like one of the biggest issues with that ninja fatigue deck, assuming you could beat Agar, which is what that deck would be sort of designed to do, it's just really hard to beat those ultimate decks with Crown of Seeds and the Shield now. Um, but you know, with the Lost Winter's Whale, it's definitely it's definitely an upgrade for the for the potential ninja ninja fatigue uh, ninja fatigue deck. So yeah, I'm looking at Wax on. I'm looking at sorry, trying to revitalize that uh, ninja control deck potentially with some of the new cards. Why don't we just treat this whole podcast like uh, you know, Talesvari doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, or like you know, we're okay with banning. Uh, legendaries. <laughs> Sorry, Crown of Seeds is just so rough for that deck. Also, the shield. Like, the shield, I feel like they, they created the shield, the Rampart of the Ram's Head. You know, a lot of it was like, ah, oh, gotcha Dash, or gotcha, gotcha, gotcha Mech, and it just wrecked this this ninja. Gotcha Kadashis. Yeah. Yep, yep. You're like, dude. <laughs> Alright. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good shout. I think it's a, clearly a powerful defense reaction. It can be somewhat above rank. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to... So I'm going to go to an uh, assassin card, Payday. Mm-hmm. Now, Payday is oh, a card. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, what does Payday do? Because, um, you know, maybe some of our listeners have never heard of this assassin class because they've never seen it on a table at their local armory. Well, I think you'll, if you haven't seen it already, you'll be seeing it more once uh, outside drops. But Payday is a zero cost assassin action at blue. And it says, if you've, it's a majestic. And if you've completed a contract this turn, create silver tokens so i think payday there's already clearly some synergy with the equipment that you have with arachne from uh from dynasty which people have already talked about people have tried that card you know it's a blue three block assassin card that has some relevance with the equipment right but to be honest it hasn't had much impact in in the game at all so far i think this is a card that you know if you're looking to play assassin in the new set you want to be stocking up i think you want to make sure you got three of these because i I do think that there is going to be a lot more interaction with obviously the contract mechanic we're going to see a lot more interaction with you've already got the equipment that can use silver uh and just currency in general and i think i wouldn't be surprised to see some generics because we are in the pits right and it's a you know it's a dark it's a, it's a harsh place and and cold hard coin does talk you know in these kind of places brendan so in the pits coin is uh king i think so i do think payday <laughs> could be a card that you would expect to see and be able to leverage again kind of in the, the theme of try shot a card that i think that could really have you producing big turns, could have a lot of payoff for uh, particular kinds of, of assassin archetypes. Uh, not, and now I'm not just thinking about the equipment and what we already know about how you can recur, uh, recur the equipment with, with you know, your currency effectively, but what you could be doing outside of that. Is there going to be ways to extend combat chains? Is there going to be ways to potentially push damage? Like I wouldn't be surprised to see LSS start to take like a different approach with you know, design around copper, gold silver and and what that looks like because we've so far you know we've seen it be uh, you know a card like cashin right a way to a trade something and we've seen it with um you know like kasai obviously making these what what does that what does pay you know what does what are other ways to use it could there be other cards that reduce cost could there be an attack reaction for instance you know it's like support from the band of the brothers or something i don't know where you, you you know you pay some coin and all of a sudden your attack gets plus i don't know you know there's lots of different things i think that could be done and payday is a card that to me puts permanence on the board and permanence are ways to have big turns so um yeah i think payday is a card that we could see be very good with the right cards and support 
Awesome. Well, next one for me is a card that we've talked about a few times on this podcast. And I think it comes up every time we talk about, you know, underrated cards, Unified decrees cards. Ah, <laughs> close actually. Um, so this is actually, this is Fane Death. It's a Ranger instant. It's a yellow strip, one cost. And it says, play Fane Death only if you have been dealt damage this turn. The next time you'd be dealt damage this turn, prevent it. So Fane Death is a card that actually started to see a little bit of play at one point in Blitz against Ira. Um, for the people that were crazy enough to play Azalea in Blitz. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a fun, it's a super powerful ability, right? It's just not very good against like a Guardian or something like that. But I think if the, we see a resurgence of Ninja and we see a resurgence of, you know, potentially doing like a sort of very tiny weapon first, it could be the Assassin weapon, it could be Kadachi's is obviously the most traditional example. And then another bigger attack that exceeds three, right? If you're playing Feign Death on something that is just doing three damage or um, or less than you, you might as well have just been blocking with a regular card. And I think Fane Death can be really powerful. Like if we're seeing, you know, big effects come, like there's a Kadachi and there's a very sort of predictable, uh, like big card coming after. We can use a Katsu example, like maybe it's a Surging Strike or something like that. You know that Surging Strike is going to go tutor for uh, the Whelming Gust Wave. Fane Death can be super strong. So this is a card I, I, I definitely am going to be taking a look at, depending on the meta in Outsiders. Fane Death is such a cool card. It's a card that I think I'm really sad it didn't see more play. Like it did see some some play during that Crucible of War meta, but you know, Rangers didn't see much play, which is the issue. But I remember playing Azalea with that card. Uh, it was a card that was quite good at, at the time. People were playing, you know, Boost Dash, and it was a card that was amazing against Maximum Velocity, for instance. It's a card that works really well off off Tunic. You know, um, wait, it is one cost, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, it yep. works really well off Tunic. It just wanted to make sure I got that right. Um, but that memory served me correctly. And then you know, there is other things. I, the one thing I thought about Fane Death was like, imagine if there was a world where you could ping yourself for a damage and then you could Fane Death against Guardians and it'd be, be relevant. Because Fane Death feels like a card that should be like so good against Guardian, right? This big stomping attack, mm-hmm. but obviously you have to take damage first. Uh, Kano was, you know, Fane Death's pretty good guard against Kano. The original Oasis Respite, Brendan. Mm-mm. Yeah, the original Oasis Respite and a deck that runs like all red. <laughs> it's like, um, I have a question, a little trivia question for you about Fane Death. Uh, have you ever seen Stranger Things, by the way? The TV yes, show? Yes, I've seen all of it. Well, Fane Death was actually the first uh, collaborative art card of Legend Story Studios with Stranger Things, and that's actually the Demogorgon. It, it, I don't know if you see if you've seen that show. That thing looks exactly look like, like the Demogorgon in, uh, in Stranger right. Things. It does. It looks exactly like it. Stranger Things X Flesh and Blood. Maybe we can find out what that thing actually is. Uh, that would be maybe good. I feel like we haven't. You know, a bit of sidetrack. I feel like the the, the <laughs> yeah, animals of of, the animals of Flesh and Blood like. The wilderness hasn't really been explored. You know, we know about brutes. We know about some of the, the creatures that are that are around in Wraith. But I want to know about some of these other things that we haven't heard about yet. Yeah, tune into episode 96 where you're talking about flora and fauna in the world of flesh and blood. I believe there was a question in the mailbag about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, move on. Uh, my next card, I'm going to go to Hurricane Technique. Uh, Hurricane mm. Technique, if you're not, not familiar. I know, Brendan, you're quite familiar with Hurricane Technique. But there's a card from Welcome to Wraith. It is a super back to different rarities a lot of people wouldn't know super. what super rares are which is so funny now right because they just they don't exist anymore they they ceased after mm-hmm. two three sets effectively mm-hmm. the hurricane technique is a ninja attack action uh yeah, yellow cost one attacks for four defense for three and it is combo if rising knee thrust was the last attack this combat chain hurricane technique gains plus one go again and hurricane technique hits put it into your hand if hurricane techniques it's put it into your hand so a lot of like original Katsu, and I think a lot of people, even when they go back to combo Katsu now, still think about, you know, Surging Strike, Whelming Gust Wave, McGinchy, Lord of Wind lines, right? 
But in reality, the damage output of those lines, it's not actually that scary, right? When you compare it to a lot of what modern flesh and blood is, and it's a lot of cards, it's really mm -hmm. hard, you know, you need pretty specific cards to set up, and it's really easy to see coming. On the other hand, one for four with go again, and two, zero for five with go again, and two, one for five with go again, that if it hits, goes back to your hand, is a lot more powerful, I think. Like, Hurricane Technique is a card, I think, and that just that kick line in general was kind of not hasn't been as respected as I think it should have been for what Katsu wants to do. And I actually think it's the most powerful mm. combo line in Katsu, the most consistent combo line in Katsu. And I think that with a few sort of, again, I'm thinking about like ways to play this. And if Katsu gets a little bit more consistency in its attacks, you know, maybe gets a few more, uh, just and maybe another a powerful attack reaction, for instance, then all of a sudden a card like Hurricane Technique that you can regularly push and get double value off. If you, if you played Hurricane Technique and you're like, okay, with well, the way I've built my deck, 50% of the time, I know that I'm going to be able to push extra damage over the top of an attack reaction and get this back. Hurricane Technique all of a sudden becomes like, you know, one of the best cards in Katsu, I think. And uh, yeah, or I, up there anyway. And I, I do think mm -hmm. that Hurricane Technique has been kind of underplayed. It's a card that I really enjoy playing Katsu. I enjoy playing it in like Ira decks even. So yeah, Hurricane Technique, I think, big shout out for me. I want to see that card come back in a big way. And I think it's strong. I think that Hurricane Technique is really, really good in Blitz. And I mean, Blitz is a world championship format, so you better, better be looking at, better have your eyes open for that. So I think that, yeah, because it puts out so much raw damage, like raw damage is, it just feels more impactful in, some, in a format like Blitz. It's just so much shorter where your life totals are so much less. So it, it, it's a card that I've played consistently in Ninja decks in that format, but have opted to usually cut uh, in constructed with the caveat that the, you know, the ninja control deck of you know ancient times of flesh and blood did utilize that card uh quite yeah. a lot but it's even you think about it so just at a base rate just to give you some some understanding of the damage of hurricane technique lines a four card hand is threatening 15 damage just without you know without anything else happening without mass momentum without you know potential a fifth card that could be an attack reaction because you go okay karachi for one off your blue you then pay one for your leg tap that's you know you're at two cards now your Rising Ethos, your third card, your Hurricane Technique, your fourth card. So your four cards for 15, like that, that is, is above rate on, you know, what people are trying to do. And it also has this on-hit effect with Hurricane Technique. And if you're playing Mouse Momentum, it also presents that on-hit effect. So, and let's say you didn't Kadachi at the start, you just played this Hurricane, you know, you played that line. All of a sudden, if your Hurricane Technique hits, you're threatening 18 damage or four cards. Like that is, is a big chunk of damage that you're coming into. So I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's a card that's worthy of consideration if Kartu is going to be good with outsiders. Mm -hmm. So next one for me is my last, or not my last ranger card, but another ranger card. It's going to be Poison the Tips, which is a ranger action. It costs zero. It's a yellow strip, and it says, until end of turn, arrows you control gain. If this hits a hero, they discard a card. It has reload, and it has go again. Blocks for two. Obviously, attacks for nothing. Yeah, I think that Poison the Tips is just... It, it feels like it's close to being unlocked. We just need more ways to just have inherently have go again. Um... I, it's always just felt like it was on the cusp. I thought, honestly, when this, this card was first printed, I thought it was going to be very, very good. But unfortunately, just didn't see didn't see much play. It's particularly good against, you know, in an aggressive meta where those decks don't want to block. You know, Flesh and Blood has has grown up a bit um, from, from the old days when I thought Poison the Tips would be good. And what, what's changed and what that growing up looks like is all these freaking aggro decks have fridges, which <laughs> is rough, especially with Poison the Tips. But I think it's, you know, if we look at the rangers and outsiders 
and yeah, there's like this trap. There's like this trap theme that we see kind of emerging, and then we we know Azalea is traditionally more go tall. I just hope that maybe we get some sort of generic support for Ranger that is a bit more go wide, and I think that that can potentially unlock Poison the Tips. It's a card that we've weirdly talked about a lot, especially in the early days of Arsenal Pass. <laughs> it was a mm-hmm. card that I think is featured on sort of us talking about cards we could see being out, you know, outbreaks with new sets, and that's a card that always gets revisited every time I think Ranger gets popped into a set. Um, it's just a tough one, I think. It's such a, it's a card that's ha- been hard to get the return value off, and again, it's one of those cards that's like, well, how big a turn can you set up? But it in itself doesn't do any of the setting up it doesn't do any of the return on damage right so it's all predicated on everything else around it it's like this additive you add in to make everything more spicy you know it's like you've got you've got the you know you've got the meat you've got the veg and then this is just like the you know, the seasoning on yeah. top it's not if, a if you look at rate too like how would you how would you quantify the rate of poison tip so like uh, if so this hard. if a card hits opponent discards a card so that's worth more than one right because one is usually if you satisfy this prerequisite if this is an opponent discard a card so like consuming volition this is obviously you know it doesn't it won't give the cards a prerequisite but you're playing an entire card first i would say you put it like 1.5 like on top of the other card um so you have to play like two cards for this even to be relatively valuable i think it needs to be like three cards and it just does nothing on its own that's what makes it tough it's it's just kind of feels Yeah, it feels like you have to assemble Exodia to like get full power out of it. But if we had a more streamlined way to just be going wide consistently every turn, then I think you could definitely slot this card in. I think the fundamental flaw of this card, right, is like you can see it coming. And if you know it's coming, what's the best course of action to avoid this card? Just block your cards. What's the best way to not discard? Block the cards. You know what I mean? So yep. you're, the card incentivizes your opponent to play in a certain way, which then gives you no value of return from poison the tips itself unless you had something like dominate but then even then it's like okay max i can get is two cards return now all of a sudden i've like traded one card for max two and two like at a at a push right two unknown cards so i just i'm not really sure that like i'm really pessimistic about poison the tips i just I, the more i think about it in terms of flesh and blood and where the game is i just don't ever see it because of this whole thing where it's like we just incentivize your opponent to block and it's the best case scenario mm-hmm. so are you worth? Is it worth throwing a card to get your opponent to block with a hand? And it's like, it feels like you need evasion on top of it, right? So not only are you using this card that does nothing on its own, right? <laughs> it needs supporting cards, but you also want like an evasion factor on top of that. So you want your cards to, you know, your cards are being buffed by poison tips. You want them to have go again, Matt, because you want to be playing multiple of them, and you want those cards to have evasion, so your opponent just because like yeah, poison tips is like, hey, just block with your entire hand if you need to, because you're going to be losing the cards anyway. It just makes the makes the decision for your opponent um which is kind of tough but you know those stars could align and you know out, outsiders being a, a set that supports ranger i'll keep i'll be looking at it so what you want is you want poison the tips for benji mm. i want poison the tips for kano dude to be honest. <laughs> all right i'm moving on <laughs> uh well speaking of you know you things that we're going to see in outsiders and you said before traps i'm gonna say tripwire trap Obviously, Riptide is coming, and all that we know about Riptide so far is that he is a ranger that cares about traps from the outsider's, uh, what do you call it, like sort of product info sheet. All that we know so far is that Riptide, a trap-based ranger. So I think Tripwire is the strongest of of the traps from, uh, what's it there from? Crucible, right? 
Yeah, from Crucible. Yep. Wow, what a throwback. We got traps in Crucible. So we had Triple Eye Trap, Pitfall Trap, and Rockside Trap. Triple Eye Trap is the red. There's a zero cost defense reaction, ranger defense reaction, trap, defense for four. Uh, can only be played from Arsenal traps. Can only be played from Arsenal. And hit effects don't trigger this chain link unless the attacking hero pays one resource. So it's important to note it's only one chain link. It's not the entire combat chain. Uh, but this card I felt was like quite powerful against decks like warrior and ninja back in the crucible meta because you know you have this effective defense reaction to you know throw something against like a dawn blade mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they don't get their their on hit effect they go again their draw a card whatever it is uh, i felt triple shark was actually pretty good and i played this in, in azalea back in crucible mm-hmm. i'm interested to see what obviously riptide is going to do with traps and how he's going to utilize traps but triple trap is a defense reaction so it has a lot of potential utility um and this one in particular can be worth can be worth quite a lot. It can be worth a lot more than the four that you're defending with. It can be worth, you know, almost four plus probably three at times. You know, a whole card when it's stopping draw effects or when it's stopping particular sort of disruptive abilities. Yeah, just uh, I mean, so the entire ethos of traps for that use case you talked about, right? They're, you know, they were designed to be good against these aggro decks and to present them with negative effects. So the the issue with these cards is like, or at least when they got printed, they also have an inherent issue. They're kind of just underrate, but. Like the main issue is like they came out these traps and they were designed to play against these aggro decks, but then they printed Command and Conquer in the same set, which just made traps like fucking suck. And Dash was just like wrecking face. Um, but they, yeah, traps actually like it, it's so funny when when our, uh, when Crucible released, like they looked so promising. Or sorry, uh, you know, Command and Conquer had been was the set, the set before, but yeah, yeah, the set the set before, but it had started to see more and more play, and it was yeah. just like become it was like in every deck by the time we started rolling into Crucible. It was just so funny because they looked. Very, very promising for like a past meta without CNC. But you know, as CNC comes out, it's it's a tough spot for the design space of defense reactions because as flesh and blood is mature, it seems like we've had more and more cards um, sort of turn off or punish defense reactions in particular. Rangers just also haven't been defensive. Like they're just the defensive capabilities mm-hmm. have not been very good. So they're much more preferred to be offensive, to be proactive on the fix of arrows, et cetera. So playing off, you know, like if Dilla Azalea could playoff two and three cards okay you could have this utility with trip by a trap or things like take cover but um yeah i i I just think riptide looks like potentially be a hero that utilizes a whether it be like a mid-range game plan or a more defensive game plan it'd be interesting to see but you know if it's trap based i imagine that that is something that that could happen you know traps are inherently defensive right like when do you set a trap when someone's coming at you right so um, Mm -hmm. for the most part of course you can set offensive traps but generally i'd say traps are associated with being defensive mm-hmm. so the last one for me uh, i kind of switched it it's actually azalea ace in the hole uh, i just feel like at this point at this point in flesh and blood like legendary studios is has to be just abundantly aware that azalea is you know one of the worst performing healer heroes and is quite underpowered and i think that the outsiders might be the first set where they print something that is just a little pushed like, I feel like it's been a while since, like, Ranger gets, like, a couple kind of pushed cards. Like, I feel like Red and the Ledge was really good. Um, you know, like, Drill Shot that came out was really powerful. Obviously good in Lexi as well. But Azalea just needs that little bump. Maybe it's a big bump, but it's so close, right? We saw it dominate a bit on that uh, that battle-hardened scene before the World Championships, really preying on the aggro decks. It just, it needs more tools to have game into um defensive decks and other mid-range decks and you know, maybe like a consistency issue as well but i'm just really hoping that azalea is up there 
and like one of the top decks just eventually it's kind of been the meme of flesh and blood forever um but yeah in terms of like how azalea can play you know just looking back at boys of the tips i look at a card like redliner and i i just want a, a way to play with more Gogan and azalea i think and go wider and not just be sort of priced in and uh at going tall because it does feel like right now azalea is the go tall ranger while lexi is sort of the go wide so your last card is not in fact a card but, but a hero that's a card that's a card wow. <laughs> i also like to point out that azalea did top eight polish nationals as well i think ran to the semi-final or the, the top eight at least um so we have seen azalea be you know azalea has been at its best and performed at its best in the more recent metas which is really exciting right so you know, how far away are we from Azalea being at least a tier two hero. Maybe outsiders is that time. We'll, we'll see. My my one thing I always come back to is what kind of ranger cards do you print that don't also you know push Lexi. Like it has to be you know it does really feel like specialization. A, yeah, or, or or go tall. I think like you were kind of alluding to just before. <clears throat> I think that they could. Uh, you know, I think specialization is like the safest way. But yeah, it does feel like. Yeah, it just feels like Lexi sort of outclasses Azalea as the ranger right now, um, unless the meta is like heavy degenerate on in in sort of the aggro side of things. And like, yeah, Azalea has has a space in that right now, which is cool. It feels like you know for the first time, <laughs> Flesh and Blood, like Azalea can be played at a competitive level if the meta is like all aggro. Do you think we see specializations in the set? I have no idea, Hayden. I have no idea. They keep switching it up on us. They're like, oh, there's six heroes. Oh, there's hybrid cards. It's like. You know, I'm just going to let it release. We'll let it all release. And then, sure, we'll see. <laughs> because every time we, every time we, uh, we sort of try to figure out what's coming out in the set, we're always just so wrong because they trick us. And yet, what are we here doing? All right, last card for me. Since, you know, you're going to take a hero, I might as well take a weapon then. I'm going to say <clears throat> Spider's Bite. Spider's Bite for me mm-hmm. is probably the most impressive thing about Assassin so far. If you're not familiar with Spider's Bite, is the Assassin weapon dagger one-handed. It is a once-per-turn action attack that costs two and has go again. It's piercing one, uh, which says if this is defended by an equipment, it has plus one attack. And when uh, Spider's Bite hits a hero, the next time they defend with one or more attack action cards this turn, those cards have minus one while defending. <laughs> now this card, when I first saw it like as a weapon, I was like, ah, yeah, okay, well, this seems uh, bad Kadachi, you know? <laughs> like, But... That text about the attack actions getting minus one is just really, really strong. So mm-hmm. if you force your opponent with the on-hit effects that Assassin has access to, of course, you know, all these contract banishes and these on-hit effects like Leave No Witness, these cards that have disruptive effects as well, all of a sudden you're forcing your opponent to have to block with an extra card because of Spider's Bite to stop a, to stop a break point. You know, you, you've effectively one damage plus the that card as well you've traded with spider's bite and that's a really good rate and piercing is not irrelevant like it means that they can't just get as much value of the equipment stopping your your little one damage poke damage they have to commit their full two damage yeah, sorry their two defensive equipment you know they their grasp on one does nothing they can only use it for the first time they can't use it for the second time so battle worn equipment has a lot less value against spider's bite so does temper so uh, and they don't get the full two damage out of something like a crown of providence on another attack they have to use it on spider's bite so this bite has been a card that's really impressed me. I don't know what new weapons we're going to get for uh, our assassins in Outsiders. Perhaps we see Spider's Bite come back again. Perhaps there's there's two weapons. But I think, regardless, Spider's Bite is going to continue to be a really interesting weapon. And it's one that's going to be, you know, maybe there's other ranger weapons, uh, sorry, uh, other assassin weapons out there. And Spider's Bite is going to be a lot more relevant in a meta that where attack actions are a lot more dominant, right? Could be the case. Yes. But I do think. I rem- yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, 
no i'm kidding uh, yeah i don't know why i was like i felt like you were i was just remembering in my own head when you were just beating me up with spider spite on our on our video for lss and i was playing reinar that was my first sort of uh my cert my first uh enlightenment into how annoying that card is like it is so freaking strong i mean a lot of what arachne does does feel like it's just a few it's it's a few key cards it feels like it's not quite in the same position that prism was pre everfest mm -hmm. But it does remind me of that, right? It feels like this sort of half-finished class where there's like this other aspect, or at least like an extrapolation of maybe some of the current design that we just need more cards for that just will unlock this deck. Yeah, I really hope it's not half broken like Prism was and then becomes fully broken, but I, d I, don't, I don't think so. One thing I do want to point out about Spider's Bite is the two resources feels kind of restrictive, but actually there's so many one costs that Assassin already has access to, and I'm sure we're going to get more in Outsiders that... The two cost paired with one cost actually works really well with the cost structure of Assassin with the amount of blues that you tend to want to play from what we've seen so far. So the two resources I thought would be more prohibitive, but they're not. And then even if you're pitching two cards for the turn, you know, two blues, double spiders bite into a big attack. And the, the effects do stack, right? And this has to defend. Yeah, like they, they do stack. There's two triggers there. So spiders bite's a very interesting card to me. Mm. Hi, Brennan. We've given you... 10 of the cards from outside that we think uh, sit for a big outbreak with outsiders, right? And that's how we've kind of... No, I mean, really for us, this is... There's not much time now before we hit the previous season. And outsiders looks like such an interesting set. We're going to our first non-talented set, uh, core set, for a very long time. We're going to this three slash six hero hybrid set with new cards we haven't seen before. And there's so much design space and limited aside, which I'm obviously super excited about. We, I know we both are. We both thought about it a lot. Thinking about constructed classes that have been underrepresented in the past sort of 12 to 18 months of flesh and blood, or heroes particularly that have been underrepresented, are now set for potentially this bump and this focus on it. And there's so many cool cards that are out there that we've you know we've just talked about that haven't seen as much attention as maybe they, they could have. And you know, I think you want to take this as Go and get out these cards. I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll see. But I think that all these cards that we talked about are, are said to be very powerful, apart from your Azalea tokens, I guess, which you can mm. get for free. <laughs> so yeah, I think like on a more serious, like on a serious note, I think the outsider is just like a really, really important set for flesh and blood like it's just a huge it's a huge inflection point coming off the back of uprising for how long we have that set and uprising limited um into 2021 like i feel like out, uh, outsider sets sets sort of the tone for the year and in terms of like constructed you know a sort of experimental six hero set etc cetera, etc cetera, i just think it's super super important for the game and uh, yeah i just i'm really interested to see what they come up with to sort of i don't know set the uh set the pace for this new year exactly all right that's going to do it for episode 95 of arsenal pass want to give a big shout out to all the arsenal pass patrons want to say if you want to find us on twitter brendan apg over there and you can find me at fan underscore dale we do have some deck techs and stuff that have gone up for january so if you can check those out they're on the youtube channel uh, and next week we'll be back with a mailbag episode we've got a lot of questions collected from the community we've actually by the time this pod drops have already recorded it because i am on holiday next week but until next time, we'll see you in the next episode, Brendan. See y'all.